Naturally occurring black pigments in vegetables, spices, and seeds have been found to have powerful anti-inflammatory effects. Hi, this is Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and I'm excited about what I think may be the next big thing in anti-inflammatory supplements, a brand new all-natural daily preventative against a host of possible inflammatory issues. Black for Health Liquid Extract from Future Farm Botanicals. Black for Health combines four plant-based foods, black garlic, black radish root, black cumin seed, and black peppercorn containing high levels of body-ready healing botanicals. Black for Health supports your liver, skin, cholesterol, blood pressure, and weight management, circulation, and immunity. It's a tasty supplement with liposome complex for optimal absorption. For more information or to order, call 888-841-7216, 888-841-7216, or go to myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. That's myfuture. Farm, P-H-A-R-M, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. It's our weekly Q&A with Layla, wherein we answer your questions. Questions come to us via radio program at AOL.com. And I'm so glad to be here to answer your questions. It's been kind of an exciting week on the COVID front. Uh, Lots happening. And uh, I have to say that I'm, I'm very, very jazzed because yesterday uh, I did an extraordinary podcast with Dr. Leo Galland, uh, who's been a frequent contributor here on Intelligent Medicine, uh, a brilliant physician, a guy who really, you know, uh, takes a problem on and does uh, intensive uh, research and applies it in his practice, uh, consummate physician. And he's taking on the problem, uh, not so much of COVID, but of long COVID, uh, which appears to be a thing that may now affect millions of Americans. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. Uh, I watched his uh, YouTube on long COVID and and recommendations. It's about an hour long. We would recommend anybody uh, look for that on YouTube. At drgallon.com is a link to that. And then, of course, you know, we provide a link on uh, our posts on Facebook and Twitter. uh, Mm -hmm. And we mention the links in our podcast. So that podcast uh, will air. Uh, it's starting to air uh, yesterday uh, mm-hmm. and it will air again on Thursday, the uh, uh, 12th. So on eight uh, ten and eight twelve, 12, uh, they're up there. And of course yeah, they're, they're up there for posterity. I mean, if you decide to listen to it in a couple of weeks, it'll still be up there. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, the, the prevalence of this, you know, it could really amount to millions of people who suffer from COVID. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'm not that worried about getting COVID uh, because I'm young, I'm strong, uh, I've been yes. taking my vitamins, I'm not overweight, I don't have any of these comorbidities, I am hypertensive, I'm not diabetic, uh, you know, and all these good things. Uh, however, uh, what we're seeing is that... Uh, a certain percentage of people who have COVID uh, don't recover rapidly. You know, like if you have the flu, look, you're going to be knocked out for maybe a couple of weeks afterwards. That's 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 for real. You remember yeah. uh, David Crosby 
uh, once saying, uh, I think it was Buffalo Springfield, I had the flu for Christmas. I'm not feeling up to par. You know, there's a line from an old, old song from the 70s. And uh-huh. yeah, yeah, it's the flu. But this uh, is really wicked because uh, people, even the, not just the people who are on ventilators, you know, who survive, yeah, yes. they've got big problems afterwards. But uh, even people with mild to moderate infections, they have problems like uh, dizziness, lightheadedness, uh, brain fog. Uh, there are people who uh, lose their taste and smell for, for you know, a long period of time, don't recover. Uh, there are people who have uh, breathing problems. They're short of breath. Uh, they can't exercise. They, they look for all the world like chronic fatigue syndrome patients, CFS. Yeah. And yeah. W- people who've had, and we've seen some of these people in our practice, uh, they, they have uh, body aches uh, that mm-hmm. uh, persist. You know, whatever hurts you, you know, when you have the flu, you're going to you know, so feel like, oh, man, my, that, that shoulder, which used to bother me a little bit, man, it's really flared now that I'm sick. And so yeah. there's there's some real uh, tendency for people to have um, serious long-term sequelae that, that don't disappear, that, that may last for months. And we don't know, since it's a relatively short phenomenon, uh, mm-hmm. we don't know how long these, these people are going to get stuck. It's almost like they're stuck in a vicious cycle. Uh, yeah. So uh, Dr. Gallen did a deep dive on this, and, you know, as you know, because you saw the video on yeah. YouTube. And you'll hear more in the podcasts um he uh analyzed the you know the biochemistry and physiology of this and uh his understanding that again a popular reference here megan trainer said it's all about the base dr gallon says it's all about the ace specifically ace two ace two and when that gets depleted uh you have problems so yeah. uh, he, he's come up with a comprehensive strategy for dealing with recovery, uh, which centers on uh, preserving and restoring ACE2 function. And there, it turns out, and this is kind of neat, is that uh, diet makes a difference. I mean, I, I was worried that this yes, was unlike regular COVID, that, that post uh, that this long COVID or long hauler syndrome was just a random hit. You know, it's like a bolt of lightning out of the blue and you, you could be go into it really healthy. And some people report that and that uh, they then get it. So it, yeah. that's scary. It's not even a merit system. So it's a, beyond our control. It's not very empowering. But mm-hmm. according to Dr. Gallon, he's worked with patients. There's a variety of things you can do, uh, including focusing on the mitochondria for mitochondrial repair, using such things as uh, nicotinamide riboside and yeah. using uh, CoQ10 especially. And uh, also, uh, you know, it, it goes way beyond, you know, simple uh, recommendations. There are a ton of things that he looks at. NT factor, he's considered. Uh, there's some evidence that CBD may help to ameliorate this. Uh, I asked him about low-dose naltrexone, and he concedes that that's a possibility, too. Um, he also, uh, diet is really important. Uh, there's actually yes. a study that came out last month that is a very interesting study uh, that looks at the severity of COVID uh, and then they retrospectively look at diet. And what they found is that individuals who followed a plant-rich diet, not necessarily the exclusion of meat, but lots and lots of fruits and vegetables. And, you know, when we talk about low-carb diets, we don't talk about just eat meat, 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 meat. You know, we're not like, you know, carnivores. No, it's plant 
plant-based, right. plant-rich. I like your phrase better, Dr. Hoffman, yep. because the term plant-based automatically seems to be synonymous with vegan, and that's not what we mean when we say it. Exactly. So so there's a yeah. role, obviously, for uh, clean animal protein, especially omega-3 yes. rich fish and grass-fed uh, meat, which is actually richer in omega-3. By the way, big role for omega-3s. Uh, he's yeah. got a program for brain recovery, which includes such things as uh, some of these things you may not have heard of, but they're available as supplements. Uh, Vinposatine, Fisetin, yeah. which is from strawberries, uh, luteolin, which is from luteolin. celery, resveratrol, which we all know about, uh, butyrate, uh, coffee fruit extract, uh, curcumin, DHA from fish oil. Uh, all these things may uh, help uh, brain recovery. In people mm-hmm. who and oh, here's the scary part. That very scary study that he shared. I don't know if you saw it in the in the video, but there's a study that suggests that uh, people who recover from COVID, even relatively mild COVID, uh, they lose gray matter. They lose uh, essential uh, brain cells because there's something about COVID that knocks out brain cells. And what's suggestive is that when people lose taste and smell. Uh, that's the okay. olfactory nerve. The olfactory nerve is a, is like a four-lane highway directed to the brain. It's almost like an extension of the brain in the nose. And yeah. when that doesn't function well, it suggests that upstream in the brain, there are malfunctions too. So it's not merely that you lose your ability to have taste discrimination. Uh, this may be a harbinger of, of brain changes. That's very, very serious. And then, of course, he talks yes. about the microbiome, which is important too, because the microbiome gets messed up when you have COVID. So a lot of lot of important information there, and uh, we urge you to listen to it, even if you're, even if you just like Q and A with Layla, you know, listen to some of our other podcasts because there's value there. All right, um, let's see. We'll get to questions. Yes, what do we have? Yes. Uh, we've got uh, an email from Nicole. Greetings, my favorite duo. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Not better than yeah, Batman and Robin. Husband. Yeah. Okay. Or. Yeah. Simon and Garfunkel. My husband, age 62, 5'11", 197 pounds, wakes up in the middle of the night with calf muscle cramps. It wakes him up from his sleep and myself, and we get it to go away by me rubbing his calf. Why does this happen? A little bonding around that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Why does does this happen? Okay. And just a little background on Nicole's husband. He's a type 1 diabetic. Oh. He's managing 33 years with a low-carb diet. He's doing beautifully. Good. They don't think it's dehydration because he drinks about 170 ounces of spring water, smart water, and, oh, diet caffeine-free soda per, per day. Oh, that's She says, I've tried to get him to give up the soda, but he just won't give it up. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, and why do we say that? You know, because it does affect blood sugar. Uh, it through several mechanisms. One, it you know prompts the brain to anticipate carbs, and that worsens uh, yeah. insulin resistance. And it doesn't deliver the carbs, but it it, right. it triggers a cerebral response to sugar, which is part of our body's response to sugar. And also, yeah. uh, it uh, messes up the microbiome, which can be a problem. Yes, caramel color, the phosphoric acid. None of this is good for your bones either. Mm-hmm. And the the chemical sweeteners. So- yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so this is uh, something that we would have to analyze because when you're diabetic, uh, even if it's well regulated, you're going to be low in certain key minerals that may be associated with cramps, the electrolytes, like so potassium, potassium and magnesium, 
particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I have to say that it's not all about electrolytes to reduce cramps. Uh, it has something to do with your spine. And as you lay down in bed and you twist around, you may constrain circulation to your uh, nerve uh, transmission to your lower extremities. That's what I think happens to some people when they say they have it at night. Ah. Uh, so that is, um, you know, that's a little bit of a tougher problem. It can't be alleviated with nutritional supplements. So maybe chiropractic. Yeah, exactly. You know, something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. It's probably still good to get checked for, say, oh, yeah. ionized magnesium, ionized calcium. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Things like that. Yeah. And I'm also thinking, I, I want to, because he's a, he's a type 1 diabetic, he's on a low-carb diet. On a low-carb diet, and I'm glad he's he's doing very well, it has a dehydrating effect. Yes. So it's not just a matter of drink more water, drink more water, drink more water. We need to replete many of those minerals. Having diabetes, you're already predisposed to being low in things like magnesium because uh-huh. magnesium can regulate blood sugar so it could just be yeah if it's a mineral deficiency right i believe those be it right and you know we can throw another element into this is that diabetics even well-controlled diabetics sometimes have some degree of neuropathy and so ah. nerve damage can sometimes result in cramps and pain uh mm-hmm. so I, i'm not too worried about uh, arterial circulation because some people who have pain in their calves uh, on especially on walking, not usually at rest, they have claudication, and that's a sign that the uh-huh. blood vessels are are closing up. And when there's excess uh, oxygen demands, you get what's called PAD, peripheral arterial disease. And mm-hmm. uh, but that usually means that you know you walk into the mailbox or you walk into the dog, and then all of a sudden you have to rest, lean up against a pole because your your calves are hurting because they're literally starved for oxygen. This, this is probably not what's happening to this individual when yeah. it happens at risk. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Nicole says, as always, I thank you so much for what you two do. I listen to the recorded podcast every morning while on my PEMF grounding mat. All right. Ooh. Well, yeah, All right. Th- that deserves a mention because uh, that's pulsed electromagnetic fields. And, you yeah. know, there's, there's, a, there's a science to this. There's this notion that uh, the right kind of electromagnetic fields uh, can have Native. a restorative effect. Native. I'm sorry? Yes. Yep. Native. Native EMF, like from the earth. Oh, okay. W- right. When you call it a grounding mat, I guess it, it tries to emulate the, e- the electromagnetic field of, of true earth. Now, as I yeah. sit here and recording this, I'm on the 21st floor of an apartment. And I'm going to spend, you know, although I went running this morning and I did have, you know, contact with the ground, uh, you know, I'm going to be in this apartment and, and the electromagnetic fields from the earth are very, very distant, you know. Yes. So really. <laughs> That's a lot of stories. But even more challenging is, you know, people need to be able to walk around barefoot. Certainly, we're not going to do that on the streets of New York. But, right. you know, out in a, on your grassy front yard or backyard right. or something like that. That's one of the best ways to get the native EMF. 
Yeah, I don't want to tell you what I encountered on the ground. I had to do some dodging uh, this morning uh, oh, on no. my way to where I like to run. So, yeah, I, probably not a good idea to go barefoot. It's funny. When I was a kid, yeah. I, I used to, I used to uh, put on my bathing suit, grab my transistor radio, throw a towel over my shoulder, and walk to the beach. I grew up in Southern California. Transistor radio. Barefoot. Ah! Barefoot. Barefoot. barefoot, yeah, and you know, I had to, you know, there's some, there was, there was some glass, you know, there was some stuff, you had to watch out, uh, but uh, you know, uh, you know, that's that's the way it was. That's not that's a good idea these days. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So thank you, Nicole, for that question. Yep. Oh, here's, here's an interesting one, Dr. Hoppen. This is from Brian. Very recently, my 29-year-old nephew has had sudden swelling of different parts of his body. It started with one hand, eyelid, and the one that really got him to the ER, his genitals. This swelling is quite severe. These incidents happen separately, and each episode abates in about 24 to 48 hours. He can feel it coming on as a tingling sensation first, and then swelling and itching. So his diagnosis at the ER was simply a string of allergic reactions, and he was told to take Benadryl when needed, mm -hmm. and taking it at the first sign of symptoms does seem to help. We have a history of allergies in our family. However, he was the one member who had no known allergies up to this point. Do you have any thoughts yeah. on what could be? I got, I got a wow. lot of thoughts on this. I mean, this is uh, the swelling, allergic swelling. Uh, it's, I mean, it's a variation on the theme of hives, but when it occurs uh, in other body parts, um, yeah. it's like a anaphylactoid reaction, and it's due to uh, excess histamines, uh, which cause the blood vessels to expand, uh, and then uh, you you can have um, fluid leaking into the tissue, and so uh, there's even something called MCAS. Uh, which is uh, a severe uh, form of mast cell activation called MCAS mast cell activation syndrome. And he, you know, rather than go to the ER and just be told, to, I mean, that's easy. You'll take some Benadryl. You know, he needs a workup uh, from an yeah. allergist uh, immunologist because there are various diseases that actually can cause this. And, you know, especially if it's not a, just a one-off, it, he definitely should go to a, a, you know an allergist immunologist to get a proper workup to see if he has a, a condition that can cause this. And there are uh, nutritional strategies for people who have this. We we have we see people like this from time to time. Uh, what do you recommend yeah. from a dietary standpoint? Uh, from a dietary standpoint, I would first point to histamine if it's allergic, or to test for histamine, something like that. Uh, remove any and all food allergens, find out what the food allergens are, because anything will cause that type of allergic reaction, especially if they're eating foods that right. they're having. But this is Even sometimes referred to as a, as a pseudo allergy, where it's not properly, yeah. uh, you know, alleviated with just, say, the elimination of dairy, for example, like as the culprit. Right. It may be that the person's kind of an allergy factory, and they just manufacture histamine uh, to excess, yeah. right? Yeah. And it could be also due to, I would also look for, was there any recent antibiotic use? Maybe they have some candida. Candida wreaks havoc with causing allergies where there weren't before. Mm -hmm. and, and often uh, that causes a lot of noise on a food allergy panel, for example. 
Right. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, quercetin is helpful as kind of a natural allergy oh, blocker. Quercetin. And then, you know, sometimes Jesus. people use not just uh, Benadryl is a conventional uh, uh, H, uh, H, I believe it's an H1 blocker. Uh, but they're also, um, uh, or is it H2? Well, sometimes I get those confused. But you can sometimes team up uh, the allergy medication with uh, uh, antacid medications. Some of these antacid medications uh, buttress the effect of the uh, allergy medications like uh, Zyrtec yeah. and so on and uh, Benadryl. Benadryl, of course, is very sedating. It's powerful and sedating. You want a non-sedating antihistamine if this is going to happen to you frequently you have to take it all the time but you can also take uh famotidine which is over-the-counter pepsid that sometimes but again do so under a doctor's uh supervision because we really want to find out what this is you know this is the problem with uh, a band-aid approach which is you go to the emergency room they tell you oh it's an allergic rash here take some benadryl go home make sure that you're not dying you know uh and then send you on your way but it that is not it's not the place for a full workup exactly an emergency it, yeah. it's they're just going to prevent you from totally crapping out and they're right. not necessarily going to do a deep dive on the causes and management because uh, otherwise you're going to be bouncing in and out of the er and they're going to oh, take yeah. some more benadryl okay this time take uh, intravenous steroids you know we'll, we'll you know we'll make this go away uh, eventually they i'm not criticizing them because eventually they will make a referral to an allergist immunologist so they should so that you get to the bottom of this yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Wow. So Brian, thank you for your question and best of luck to your, to your nephew. Wow. All right. Uh, we've got one from, this is from Carol. Hi, Dr. Hoffman and Layla. You have talked a lot about hard plaque as can be measured with a calcium score. Uh, so you can provide some information on soft plaque, what does it consist of? What causes it to form this soft plaque? And does it eventually turn into hard plaque? And how much of a concern is having soft plaque? Are there lifestyle factors or medications that can control the level of soft plaque? And what tests can determine the levels of soft plaque? Did I say soft plaque enough? Yes. <laughs> soft plaque, soft plaque, soft plaque. Um <laughs> Say it again. Oh, that sounds like the Aflac commercial. Aflac. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think this is an important question because um, you know we often talk about the cal- the coronary calcium score, and you know you go in and you find out if you're at risk for cardiovascular disease. But uh, some uh, doctors uh, who poo poo that test say, well, you know that test. Uh, It'll tell you if you have hard plaque because it's that's full of calcium, but it doesn't tell you yeah. if you have soft plaque. Now, I would counter that uh, the the I think the predominant cause of heart attacks and strokes is hard plaque, uh, especially when the plaque is what's called vulnerable plaque, which means it can, you know, it's sort of flapping in the breeze and it can break off and a chunk of it can then uh, travel upstream and block circulation to your brain or, or give you a, a heart attack. Um, soft plaque is real, and the methods for detecting it are a little less readily available, and the technology has not been developed to ascertain whether you have both hard plaque and soft plaque. So 
I guess it's hypothetically possible that you have minimal hard plaque, and so you get a very low calcium score, but you have a lot of soft plaque, which um, tends to occlude an artery. That, yeah. that's an unu- I would, that would be an unusual situation, though. Uh, I, could think of, I could think of a scenario where a soft plaque can harden to hard plaque yes. in smoking. Yes. In smokers. Yeah. yeah, I think generally there is a progression from soft plaque to hard plaque. Um, because it's as if the body tries to wall off the soft plaque. Uh, but the soft plaque, by virtue of its consistency, is less likely to uh, cause adherence of platelets, which is why sometimes you get a blood clot that can result in a heart attack or stroke. So um, I think it is, um, it's an issue. Uh, we need better technology to detect it. Uh, the the same measures can be used to prevent hard plaque as soft plaque, uh, which are, you know, optimal diet, optimize your weight, yes. uh, exercise, blood uh, sugar and insulin low, re- keep reduce, inflammatory markers exactly. low. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, homocysteine and so on. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, what are what are some of our strategies for, you know, say someone has hard plaque or soft plaque is, you know, Get them on a really clean diet, a relatively low-carb diet, optimize their weight, make sure that they exercise within their capacity, uh, take supplements like uh, resveratrol, fish oil, curcumin, um, uh, vitamin K, uh, olive leaf extract, yeah. uh, kaolic aged garlic extract. Uh, mm-hmm. These are all uh, have demonstrated efficacy against uh, plaque formation. Yeah. In in a would you would you also consider oral or IV chelation? Well, that that's another consideration because we know that high levels of lead uh, and cadmium, especially which we all accumulate, have an impact on uh, atherosclerosis. So, I guess I would um, I would consider that as an as a uh, it, you, and here's how it, it's been demonstrated. I was part of a study. Back in the, I guess it was the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, where uh, they took diabetics. Diabetics, we know, have a lot of plaque. And they were also, they also had a heart attack. So we knew that they had plaque. Uh, and mm-hmm. then they were randomized to either get placebo chelation. I mean, that was tough to set up because we had to give them like bottles of colored water. And they would sit there for like two, three hours getting caught. Wow colored water versus an active group who got EDTA chelation, the real deal. And there was a dramatic reduction in the risk of second heart attacks. Uh, However, you know, that I think that therapy uh, has been eclipsed by the drive towards uh, simple, easy to take drugs because there's more economic impetus to get these drugs studied and approved than chelation, which is done by individual practitioners and there's not a lot of money in selling EDTA. Uh, yeah. And it's also, it's kind of inconvenient and it can be expensive. You know, so taking 20, 30, 40 chelations, you know, you got to sit in an office uh, for, I, you know, I would have patients sit for three hours. Two hours, right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, you'd have to go for a series and it wasn't even covered by insurance. For one thing, it's covered by insurance. Should be, right. but it isn't. And that rids the body of lead and, uh, and, cadmium in particular, to some extent mercury, yeah. and that reduces the body burden of 
toxic heavy metals that attack the arterial walls. There's no question that they accelerate the progression of atherosclerosis. So, yeah, thanks for mentioning that as a kind of a comprehensive strategy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the drugs that you talk about that would be used, we're talking statins. primarily statins, are you? Statins, but also a, a new raft of drugs, uh, which are the, uh, the pesky stuff. The P pesky. PSKC. Um, yeah. Yeah, I call them peskies, uh, which are uh, they're they're injectable drugs. They're very expensive, and they they can slash your. I mean, if your cholesterol is three hundred, you can they can drop your cholesterol to like ninety nine. You know, they just really knock the hell out of your cholesterol. And wow, uh, I see them sometimes applied um, too indiscriminately, uh, and they're they're actually it's actually controversial as to whether uh, they uh, work that well and whether it's worth it. You know, there's a lot of controversy, but you know, if in someone who has rip roaring high cholesterol, uh, they they might reduce risk somewhat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And with regard to statins, uh, there's been the latest research is talking about how it may, you know, deplete vitamin K. Uh, exactly. Which you need vitamin K to help keep keep your arteries clean. To, exactly. You know, direct the calcium where it's supposed to go. Mm-hmm. The bones and, and, out and of the then, arteries, so. and add to that, you know, sometimes they put people on Coumadin for blood clots, and that, you know, then you tell them to not to have any any green leafy vegetables or any green tea, yeah, and true. you really get a vitamin K deficiency, you know. Mm -hmm. So, Carol, this is such a great thoughtful question. Thank you. Well, I tell you, we're we're way over for part one. Time flies when you're oh, having my. fun. Yeah, so let's pause now, and uh, we'll come back. Uh, with part two of today's Intelligent Medicine podcast. Give us a preview. What's the next question? Um, my 20-year-old son and the COVID vaccine. Okay. Lots of vaccine questions these days. Yep. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman today with Layla Mutin, our nutritionist in residence, answering your questions. Radio program at AOL.com, the destination for questions. We'll be right back. <laughs> 